Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Alan Maiman is a Pulitzer Prize finalist, investigative reporter, and author of Twilight in Hazard, an Appalachian Reckoning, a true account of his coverage of Eastern Kentucky as the Hazard Bureau Chief for the Louisville Courier Journal in the early 2000s. In some of the remarks about uh, Alan's new book, the Associated Press said Maiman eviscerates J.D. Vance's hillbilly elegy with stiletto precision. Margaret Sullivan of the Washington Post wrote in tight, compelling prose, Twilight in Hazard takes us directly to the heart of one one of America's most serious problems, the decline of local news. And a professor at Temple University who I'm sure was asked to write uh, a review, wrote a searing and revealing account of what happens when jobs disappear, institutions collapse, politicians grandstand. Alan Maiman, welcome to Think Humanities Podcast. Great to be with you, Bill. Tell us about um, your entire life and what brought you to Hazard, Kentucky. I arrived in Hazard a couple days before Christmas in the year 2000. Prior to that, I was working as a news assistant in the Berlin, Germany Bureau of the New York Times assisting the bureau chief and and doing some stories of my own. And the time came where I felt like I wanted to return home to the United States. Now, home at that point was a little bit of an abstract concept. I had been living in Germany for a number of years, and I got this idea that if I returned to the United States, I, I wanted to go to a place where I had no prior familiarity with or knowledge, real knowledge of, one that would challenge me as much as my time in Germany had challenged me as a journalist. And around this time, as luck and fate would have it, uh, the Courier Journal was looking for a a reporter in their their somewhat fabled Eastern Kentucky Bureau based in Hazard. And this seemed to really fit the bill for me. So I did, did some reading on the newspaper and about the region and felt like this was going to be the challenge that I was looking for covering 20 or 30 counties in the eastern part of Kentucky. What did you read or what did you research that gave you some uh, preparation for what you found uh, when you arrived in Hazard? I read some of the seminal works about the region, including Night Comes to the Cumberlands and and some other some other works. But I, I think that's a that's a great question because in my research, what I found was kind of a consistent theme um, again and again of uh, generational poverty, uh, bad news, um, an area that in in many ways, in at least in my reading, seemed to be coming across as irredeemable in some ways um, by the people who were writing about it. Uh, This added to my challenge. I felt like there is no way that an entire region and and an entire population of people can be written off in this way. But in the 
in, in terms of portrayals in, in the media and television and film, this seemed to be the prevailing notion about uh, this area of Kentucky. Give us some of your thoughts on what you found and why you found it the way it is and why it has continued, as you said, for generations. I covered Eastern Kentucky during a particularly consequential time in not only the region's history, but the nation's history. I was literally still unpacking my bags when uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Lexington summoned reporters to Lexington for a press conference at which they announced something called OxyFest 2001, which was really the first time that anybody really knew about this new uh, prescription painkiller called OxyContin that was killing hundreds and thousands of, of, of people uh, in Kentucky and, and eventually the rest of the country. Uh, I also arrived in Kentucky just a few months after a catastrophic environmental disaster in Martin County, uh, the Martin County slurry spill. Uh, and the more I thought about the stories that I covered, including the opioid epidemic and the environmental uh, consequences of coal mining and coal mining safety um, and cultural and, and religious battles that were being waged at the time, I realized that in 2021, um, these stories still very much resonate and that the stories I covered from 2000 to 2005, you can really draw a direct line between what was happening then and what the country and the region are dealing with now. You were a um, one-person bureau, so you had to hit the ground running and didn't have a whole lot of time uh, to take long walks in the um, in the mountains and think about things. But you did have some downtime. What what is it about the the mystery and the the spell that Appalachia, that Eastern Kentucky, has on some outsiders? And we'll talk about why natives of the area uh, continue to live there and to come back there. But what did you find there that um, was intriguing to you that, that made it this uh, sort of mysterious uh, part of Kentucky that, uh, that you're not uh, uh, familiar with? Yeah, my relationship to the region continued after uh, I left as a full-time journalist there. I, I married um, a woman from Harlan County, a coal miner's daughter, uh, from Harlan County. So I've really had a chance to um, visit uh, the area for the past 15 years since I left there. And I would agree with you uh, wholeheartedly that it is a very special and unique place. On, on my most recent trip uh, to Eastern Kentucky, for example, I went up into a corner of Harlan County that I had never been to before. And, and it was, it was absolutely spectacular. And, 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 and at the same time, a little bit shrouded in, in mystery, just the just the um, the cabins and and the people and some of getting to have conversations with some of the people up in this community were, was just fascinating. The perspective they bring on things is uh, not something you 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 you're likely to hear uh, in any town USA. So you're 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 right that there is this allure to the region, um, and it's and and because it's so special and 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 as we continue this conversation and maybe talk start talking about what, what the future of the region is, I think that that, that is a, a resource that the region can absolutely, absolutely capitalize on, just how special and, and unique it is. In uh, a couple of the reviews that I read, in fact, uh, it's referenced that, that some reviewers um, have mentioned that your approach to, to Appalachia was somewhat or maybe is still empathetic 
Publishers Weekly uh, wrote uh, that uh, Maimon delivers an empathetic portrait of Eastern Kentucky. When you were writing it and today, do you see it as, as sort of taking up for the region in uh, an empathetic manner? I see Twilight and Hazard as a three-dimensional portrait of the region. If that means it's empathetic, if that means it's compassionate, so be it. I think what's been lacking over the years in, in depictions of the area is, is, a, is, is, it, is viewing it in three dimensions. And that's, what, that's certainly what I tried to do in the book. And, and those three dimensions are what, Alan? Well, just rather than just uh, falling back on the stereotypical tropes of the region, um, poverty and um, simply zooming in uh, enough to to meet the people and tell the people's stories and to show that Eastern Kentucky isn't monolithic. It's not only poor people. In fact, there are pockets of significant wealth in Eastern Kentucky. There's also a, a burgeoning middle class in, in Kentucky, a, uh, Eastern Kentucky, a professional class. So that's really the, that's really the three dimensions that, that you bring to it as opposed to, you know, Hollywood depictions and some uh, major newspaper depictions of the area, which would have one believe that it's just a place that is mired in a culture of poverty that can never be solved. Tell me uh, your thoughts about uh, what it is about the region, uh, about the people, about the generations that some from the outside um, find that people there have changed and that progress is being made. But for the most part, a lot of people, uh, whether it's a majority or a large percentage, uh, continue to stay there. Uh, they, they want to work there. It has taken uh, decades um, now uh, for Kentuckians uh, to move away from coal uh, and rely on coal. Uh, that's changing too. But for so long, you heard, and I think I think you um, certainly marrying a coal miner's daughter and talking to your father-in-law, who now has since passed away. Is that correct? He passed away in two thousand and three uh, of black lung, and I I got to uh, be with him in, in his final days. So that uh, brought home to me the the, the physical toll that uh, that coal mining took on 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 a lot of miners. Uh, uh, and uh, passing away of, of black lung. But you heard, uh, again, generationally, you heard the sons of coal miners or the grandsons of coal miners say, I want to grow up to be a coal miner. I, I want to be just like my dad or just like my grandfather. What, what is it about an Appalachian, an, an Eastern Kentucky native who has observed that, who has seen accidents and uh, permanent damage to to one's body, yet they still want to go, and maybe today we even find they still want to go into the mines. Yeah, that was one of the top three things that really uh, left an impression on me. Uh, the the notion that that a, a miner who was in uh, taking his last breaths and and on death's doorstep um, expressed the the desire to go back underground that that was such a part of their identity uh, that all they wanted to do, despite having experienced you know, these fatal consequences of, of coal mining, just wanted to go back underground. 
Um, yeah, coal mining is such an important part of culture, heritage, and identity in that region. And I would never uh, dismiss that. I think that's, that's a really important thing to acknowledge and to celebrate. At the same time, one of the fundamental questions that, that I pose in Twilight and Hazard is what's next? Um, when I was in Eastern Kentucky 15 years ago, there were some conversations happening about creating a post-coal economy and diversifying the economy, but I'm not sure that those conversations were all that serious back then. Coal was experiencing a little bit of a mini boom in the early 2000s, and, and there just didn't seem to be a lot of urgency to those conversations. I sense that there's been a change now. I think people realize um, the economic development leaders in particular understand that coal is not coming back this time. And there are some really bright people, I think, uh, trying to figure out how to create a jigsaw puzzle that will um, allow Eastern Kentucky to emerge from its 120 year dependence on coal. So whether it's empathetic or not, um, it's optimistic. You really do have, and you discovered, and you really feel legitimately and honestly that there is uh, a reason to be optimistic about what's going on in Eastern Kentucky today. I think a lot of narratives about Eastern Kentucky leave you with the idea that this is the way it is and there's nothing more, nothing more to see here. I disagree with that. I think there's a lot more to see in Eastern Kentucky. I think this is a very exciting time. I think this is a very critical time. There is a lot of hard work that needs to be put in. This is not going to happen overnight. When I, when we called the book Twilight and Hazard, Twilight, there are obviously two twilights in a day, one right before dusk and one right before dawn. I would like to think that we're at the twilight right before dawn. I'm not so sure we are because there is a tremendous amount of, of work that needs to be put in to create a blueprint for the future of the region. Now, there are some things happening now that could really help uh, the people of the region. The, the child tax credit, for example, could be a game changer for many families in Eastern Kentucky. If uh, Congress passes an infrastructure bill, that stands to benefit Eastern Kentucky. The Reclaim Act, federal black lung legislation, there are a lot of things that could happen that would really give the area the boost that it needs the nearly $500 million that are coming to Kentucky or likely to come to Kentucky uh, based on the opioid settlement. So uh, these are all pieces, pieces to the puzzle. Um, at the end of the day, however, it does come down, I think, to the people, to the nonprofits, to the foundations in the area uh, to use this money wisely, uh, to proceed with, with vision and to really figure out a way to make Eastern Kentucky a place where outsiders would like to visit and companies would want to locate and most importantly young people will want to stay and become entrepreneurs the uh mention uh, in the introduction from and uh, in what margaret sullivan of the washington post wrote uh, about one of the areas uh, of the book that, that you write uh, uh, quite in depth about is the sort of the rise and fall uh, and and the continuation of the fall of, of local news, of uh, newspapers in general, of, of journalism, uh, the way it's changed, uh, the way it probably will never ever go back to being the way it, it used to be. Uh, if that's old fashioned or old school, that's, um, that's what the way it, it was and the way it's changing. So 
talk a little bit about that and what you observed and and how, uh, if you feel as passionately as Margaret Sullivan uh, does about uh, uh, the disappearance of, of coverage of the region of local news uh, is a real tragedy. Yeah, I was the last uh, Eastern Kentucky reporter for the Courier Journal. In early 2006, the Courier closed all of its state bureaus except for the one in Frankfurt, which it downsized. And so, so no one came in after me. So for the past 15 years, uh, the Courier Journal has not had a full-time reporter based in Eastern Kentucky. When the Hazard Bureau closed, the then mayor of Hazard, uh, Bill Gorman, compared the importance of the Courier Journal to that of the Bible in the region because the Courier Journal had a long history of covering the region, holding public officials accountable, and telling the region's stories. So yeah, that was a, a big blow to, to statewide coverage in Kentucky. Uh, it's certainly a, a trend that we saw playing out nationally at other newspapers that similarly cut back on, on coverage of entire states. Um, I recently wrote an op-ed for the Courier-Journal in which I called on the paper to send a couple of reporters out to Eastern Kentucky for an extended period of time uh, to bring plenty of notebooks and to see what they, they came up with. Uh, I was... Uh, pleased that a couple of years ago, the, the no longer editor of The Courier, but uh, somebody who had been the top editor there for a while, made a trip through Eastern Kentucky and wrote about it for The Courier. This was a sign to me that perhaps 15 years after the Bureau's closing, there is, things are coming back around where newspapers understand that gimmicks aren't the way to save journalism, but good journalism is the way to save journalism. And it's my hope that The Courier and other papers across the country will renew their, uh, their interest uh, in covering areas of rural distress, which really need covering. Alan Maiman is the uh, author of Twilight in Hazard, an Appalachian Reckoning. Uh, Alan is a, a reporter, investigative uh, uh, work in his past. Uh, he is now doing some, something else, but continuing to write and still uh, caring a great deal about Eastern Kentucky uh, and Appalachia. We'll have more with Alan right after this word from our good friends at Spalding University. At Spalding University's School of Creative and Professional Writing, students develop mastery of the writing skills highly prized in today's workplace, including arts and humanities organizations, government agencies, corporations, and small businesses. A professional writing student will explore opportunities writing for trade and consumer media, including reviews, profiles, interviews, and articles for sports, food, travel, health and science, and other publications. Learn more at spalding.edu slash schoolofwriting or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Alan, you write um, in the uh, last uh, chapter or two of uh, Twilight and Hazard uh, in the chapter that, that you titled From the Hood to the Holler, which we're probably going to hear a lot more about uh, as um, uh, former state representative Charles Booker takes on uh, the sitting junior senator from Kentucky, Rand Paul. Uh, he, uh, Charles Booker has talked a lot about uh, uh, from the hood to the holler, but you write in um, one a paragraph, the beginning of the paragraph is you're sort of summing up your thoughts and, and your uh, feelings about what you uh, observed in Eastern Kentucky. 
From the hood to the holler, America faces a reckoning with poverty. It will take a momentous effort by our institutions and communities to secure lasting change. There is no time for a lack of will because the effort will require a fundamental shift in how we think about people and places. Give me your interpretation of what you were trying to say in that uh, couple of sentences. We heard a lot in the year 2020, especially we, about reckonings. We saw what was happening in, in our cities and we saw a clear need, I believe, for major systemic and structural overhaul, whether it be in the criminal justice system or other, other parts uh, of, of our system. From the hood to the holler is, is a phrase borrowed from Charles Booker. I was impressed that on the last day on the campaign trail last year, the last day that he was out stumping for votes in the Democratic primary, that he spent his final day in Hazard. The book zooms out from time to time to look at what I believe is a national crisis, uh, an ur uh, and an urban-rural divide that I feel like has to be overcome if we're going to fulfill our potential as a country. We've never been seemingly more divided than we are right now. And I feel like we can toss the word reckoning around all we want, but I don't want that to just be talk. I don't want that to be something that just makes us feel better, that we're talking about changing things. I think we need to reimagine things, whether it be in our cities or in places like Eastern Kentucky. And there's really no time better than now to do that. I think 2020 was a, was a jolt to all of our senses for, for a number of reasons. And it's time to really just look at how our country can be the best country that it can be. Because quite frankly, in recent years, we seem to have drifted away from a lot of things that I think we once held dear and now have allowed ourselves to just be polarized and divided. Can you explain to some who are not from the region, uh, from um, Lexington, Louisville, Western Kentucky, uh, maybe some more of the populous areas, although as you well know, we're a, a very red state now. Can you explain why so many voted for uh, President Trump uh, in Appalachia when many of the programs, uh, the uh, ideals, the promises of the Democratic Party and, and the Democratic candidate were really targeted uh, at bringing about change and, and helping them when um, other critics of uh, President Trump uh, thought that uh, those were hollow phrases and uh, only rallying points and uh, that uh, the talk of coal and coal coming back and coal being brought back as as a real savior uh, were very hollow in in their their statements. So the question always it still comes up: Why did so many that could have been helped uh, by the other candidate? Uh, why did they morph uh, into being Trumpers? Yeah, the the political dynamics of Eastern Kentucky are fascinating. 
Uh, I was covering the region at a time in 2004 when uh, it was the last time that that a core coal county of southeastern Kentucky uh, voted Democrat in a presidential election. Uh, that was for John Kerry over George W. Bush. Since that time, solid wall of red um, up and down eastern Kentucky. Uh, the reasons for that are, are several. As, as with so many issues, there's no one explanation. I'll, I know that uh, the Friends of Coal movement that emerged in the early 2000s uh, really did a masterful job of demonizing candidates like Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, uh, basically saying, you know, these these are, are politicians who are, are anti-coal, war, the, they're waging a war on coal, um, they're going to put your father, brother, cousin, uncle, mother, sister out of work. And that resonated with, with, with a lot of people in the region. So that's what, where we saw this, this shift from, from blue to red. Uh, the fact that the 5th Congressional District of Kentucky is, is, I believe, the reddest in the country, if not the reddest, I think the second reddest, um, it ties into a lot of different things, including just, I believe, overall frustration with um, the notion that the federal government hasn't done the things that 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 it said it was going to do in the 50 plus years since Lyndon Johnson came to Martin County, Kentucky, uh, to declare a war on poverty. So it's uh, and then social issues, of course, on top of that, the, the when Barack Obama in 2008 said that uh, there are people who cling to their guns and religion. I think that really uh, angered a lot of people in eastern Kentucky that said, yeah, that's that's what we do and that's who we are. Um, and you're never going to get my vote. So let's talk about the future. Let's talk about uh, solutions and let's talk about change. Um, and the question uh, is uh, universal in nature and, and huge to even tackle. But uh, you see some progress and you seem to be uh, uh, carrying uh, uh, optimism um, with you uh, in, in your uh, statements. How can it change? Uh, how can the, uh, the economic conditions begin to improve, uh, the educational uh, systems uh, continue to educate those uh, young people um, so they can make their own decisions and not be told uh, who to vote for and why? Uh, what do you see as um, the real key to making progress in Eastern Kentucky? I'll start by saying that the unofficial capitals of of southeastern Kentucky, Hazard and Pikeville, um, there are some good things happening in both of those places. I just came back from a visit to Hazard, and I'll tell you one thing: the main, main street in Hazard looks a lot better than it did when I was there 15 years ago. So there are some good things happening in these downtown areas in terms of revitalization and beautification, and that's a piece to this much bigger jigsaw puzzle that I was talking about earlier. I like to talk about it in terms of a table with four legs. I think that three of those legs are, are local, state, and federal government really getting its respective acts together and um, sending targeted relief to, to areas in Eastern Kentucky and other areas of rural distress that will help the local people, the nonprofits, the foundations really figure out a way to put together the disparate pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that sits on that four-legged table. Uh, there's no magic bullet. Uh, it's a combination in my mind of 
tourism and the arts and maybe some some tech. Uh, you start piecing these things together and you start working towards creating a clean and hospitable region, I think you're going to start seeing um, a sea change. Again, it's a very exciting time, but it's also a very challenging time. You can't undo 120 years of dependence on one industry overnight. So it's really going to take some really smart people with vision at that table, putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And I'm hopeful that, that those people are at the table. Where, where the coal industry sits at that table, I don't know. Maybe they deserve a seat at the table, but they certainly don't deserve a seat at the head of the table. Is the leadership in place to uh, bring about this change? I think it's a good sign that in the last few years, we haven't seen any of the high profile indictments of public officials that we've seen um, traditionally in Eastern Kentucky. There was a report that came out a few years ago showing that uh, Eastern Kentucky had among the highest uh, public corruption indictments of any place in the country. That, that it's essential to move past that history. It's essential to have honest and visionary local officials in place, and it's incumbent upon the people of the region to elect those, those officials. Because if you only have people in office who are out to enrich themselves and their buddies, you're not gonna get out of, the, out of this quagmire. I'm sure you'll continue to um, to visit uh, because of your family connections there uh, now in Hazard and in in the region in Pikeville uh, in Harlan County. What do you think you'll? What kind of Eastern Kentucky will you be visiting in 25 years from now? That's a great question. I can say that I hope I'm visiting in Eastern Kentucky in where somebody could write a book called Dawn and Hazard. Uh, I didn't entitle the book Dawn and Hazard for a reason because I don't think we're there yet. I think that in 25 years time with the right combination of, of ideas and vision and the right people sitting at the table, uh, we could see a place that embraces its uniqueness, isn't any town USA, and is a very special place that people will want to, again, come and visit from the outside, companies will want to locate in, and most importantly, the young people who want to stay in the region will have an opportunity to do that. So I'm hopeful that in 25 years time, uh, finally, that, that, that idea of generational poverty will be a thing of the past. Alan Mayman is the award-winning Pulitzer Prize finalist and investigative reporter who spent a number of years in journalism, some of those with the Louisville Courier-Journal in Louisville. And he has written a book that all Kentuckians and others should read too outside the state, but it is a new perspective on uh, Appalachia and on Eastern Kentucky, Twilight and Hazard and Appalachian Reckoning. Alan, uh, thanks for joining us on our Think Humanities podcast. Thanks so much, Bill. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.